the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Friedman. We've got a show for you today. Let me tell you, in this half hour of the show, we'll be uh, touching base with Hannah Kamenetsky, who is the wife of Shmuel Kamenetsky, the head shliach in Nyper, Ukraine. We're going to follow up what's doing now on the ground in Ukraine. This is like really on the edge stuff, let me tell you. This is uh, not going to be a pretty interview. Let me just uh, warn you in advance. In the second half hour of the show, we'll be talking about the beginning of the book of Numbers, which is what the portion is by Midbar, along with the holiday of Shavuos, which is Saturday night, uh, Sunday and Monday. And we'll talk about that. Hopefully, we'll have enough time. A amazing Hasidic story at the end. Jewish music throughout. Before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. One person was killed and another seriously wounded in Janine as IDF forces conducted a raid. Shots were fired from an Arab-occupied Hebron into a Jewish neighborhood, striking and lightly wounding a young girl. The girl did not require hospitalization. A 16-year-old Palestinian was killed by Israeli forces as he tried to throw a firebomb at soldiers at Joseph's tomb in Shechem. The Shin Bet, Israel's FBI, broke up a Hamas terror cell in East Jerusalem. The group was planning to kill member of Knesset Itamar Ben-Givir and drone attacks against the light rail. A 90-year-old Jewish man was pushed to his death in Lyon, France. Police arrested a 51-year-old neighbor saying it was not anti-Semitic. French Jewish groups are outraged. One person is in custody and charged with a hate crime for threatening to kill Jews in a Toronto yeshiva. 
The school cook, an ex-IDF soldier, tackled the man and held him until police arrived. An Israeli-owned eatery in London was spray-painted with Free Palestine graffiti. Jewish cemeteries in Berlin and Hamburg were vandalized. In other news, Israel approved a half a billion dollar disabilities law. The legislation defines the official rights and people suffering from a range of disabilities and allocates funds for integrating the disabled into the wider country. Israel's really been uh, lack behind the times on this one. That's good to hear. Authorities in Morocco completed a renovation of the historic Jewish cemetery in the city of Meknes part of a broader overhaul of Jewish heritage sites that coincides with the country's reestablishment of diplomatic ties with Israel. And finally, ending off sorry on maybe what might be a bad note, the U.S. Supreme Court declined to take up a suit against a group of protesters who were gathered weekly outside an Ann Arbor synagogue for the last 18 years, thus closing the case. We'll have to see how this plays out for the next 18 years. And that's the news. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman, here you're listening to the Jewish Hour. Let's do a little music. This song is called Yachad, means together. And this is Shlemy Kaufman. <laughs> Israel, 
Assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. We are on with Rebetzin Chana Kamenetsky. She is the Chabad representative in the city of Nyper, Ukraine. And we had her on three months ago. We're following up to see what's doing. How are you, Chana? Baruch Hashem, amazing. And good. how are you? Good, thank God. I'm glad to hear that you put that little last uh, that qualifier in there. Amazing. Okay, so let's catch people up. Uh, if they didn't hear the show, they can actually go back on Rabbi Finman about three months ago and listen to the original interview to see what was doing then. So what's doing now? First of all, how... how oh, that sounds like a good noise. How, how are you managing? Where are you? And uh, what are you doing with yourself generally? I'm um, in New York. Uh, Baruch Hashem, I have my parents here. I try, not enough visiting them. As usual, we don't take advantage of what we have. So I do suggest everyone to just enjoy the moment of wherever you are because that is something we don't usually do. And when we don't have something, that's when we realize that we are so lucky. And thank the Abishta for everything we have. I also um, have children and grandchildren here who I don't see enough of. Or like when someone says, how long are you married? Not long enough. So, Baruch Hashem, that's what I'm busy doing. Take some walks, go to speak to some people from Ukraine. I can only do that in the morning. They're all over different countries, so I try to keep in touch with some every day, someone else. Okay, let's talk about that. So you're calling people basically all over the world. You're talking anywhere between seven time zones, I'm assuming. 
So how are people that you're talking to there, I'm assuming these are people like in, in Poland, Romania, Israel, and you can fill in the blanks where else it is that they're talking about. So what, these people are, are classically called, and you happen to be one of these people too, refugees, which refugee has a status of like, these are people that need a lot of help. So how are these refugees, Hanna Kamenetsky? Um, all different. Some ha are still um, not leaving the country. Some have left. Some are in other countries not yet knowing where their end state is because they don't know what's going to be and they want to come back to Ukraine. Some are starting to settle, even starting to work um, in other countries like in Israel, Vienna, Berlin. Um, and people are just trying to make the best of it. Some are having a very hard time with food, with um, other things, and, and actual living their day-to-day -day life. Um, and some are actually just like trying to, like in Vienna, many people from the Never Better Off to Vienna, so they have kindergarten and school, and teachers are teaching, and actually making the best of it as much as they can, even if they're getting paid or not getting paid. They just feel like they want to have a little touch of home with the same kids, with the same teachers, with the same... So there's different... Some are not well and needing uh, hospital care and maybe even coming to America for care, finding out about not very good um, diseases. And, I, and there's all different stories that can go on and on. But I try to just keep in touch, touch base, say to someone, I feel for you. I know that you're going through a hard time. And they're really happy about that. So, Yeah, that is indeed amazing. So people that my best. people who say like have moved to Israel, would you say that they've made Aliyah, they're now in absorption centers, they're looking to spend the rest of their lives in Israel and Ukraine was where they were. There's still that idea that they want their, it's just a temporary thing. And even though they may be settling in to say Israel, for example. Um, many people that I know that I talk to do want to come back. Um, they are hoping as I am every day that they should make miracles and that um, we should all be able to, come back obviously it's going to be a bit different but it, it absolutely is a reality in people's minds because it's difficult for us to change our minds and say okay i'm moving to new york right now i don't want to make that decision of where i'm actually moving if i have to move um they have the same thing uh, many want to come back some are israelis actually that came to work for israel mr adachinuch um, and they're teaching or they're doing other jobs, and they also want to come back, even though they're Israelis, and they don't have to make Aliyah. They're born Israelis. And then you have those who are making Aliyah just because that's what's the right thing to do right now. That's what gets them some funding. Uh, many of them are also trying to get children that are were in our school, day school, um, and kindergarten, get them into Mosdot in Israel so that they can learn there. And the people that left the Nepper that are in charge of our school and our kindergarten are actually helping them out. And, and it's really incredible how people are being so helpful and caring, even though we're dispersed, but everyone feels like one community. And I think that's something very special about the Rebbe city and the Nepper Petrovsk, where people are, have done challah bakes and been calling and zooming. And as, as we got that experience via COVID, uh, people actually know how to do that. So you still have that connection, which is incredible. That's absolutely amazing. Absolutely. Okay. A couple of weeks ago, you actually ventured back to Ukraine. So what was the same? What was different, honey? Um, 
Actually, I'd love to speak about my trip because that's absolutely something different. But if okay, that's let's not hear. What you're okay, okay let's let's hear about. Okay, um, well, well, you're the guest. You t- <laughs> let's talk about your trip. Well, you know, coming out. I don't remember if I spoke about it or not. We won't talk about that now. But actually, going um, in 1990 was really difficult to come to to uh, you know Russia as it was at that time, the former Soviet Union before the coup. Um, and that experience actually was similar to the one when I left. But either way, this time I uh, flew to uh, Warsaw. From Warsaw, I took a car, which um, somebody arranged, to the border, which was about four hours. And then at the border, with the car, in the car, just having to go out and showing my face to the border control on both sides, um, about an hour and a half, two hours, which was quick. Um, and then another few hours to hotel as martial law, you can't travel at night. I wouldn't want to take the risk of traveling at night. Um, I slept for a few hours and 6 a.m. I took a car again for 13 hours, which was because of May Day. We got a bit earlier than expected. Thought it would be about 16 and I got home. Very happy to be home. Actually just went to see my husband. That was my, my, um, how do you say? Your purpose in going, yes. Purpose. And so that was done, and that was I'm very grateful for that, even though it took about two days to get there. On the way back, it was way longer. It was a, about a 24-hour trip from my house until I got to the hotel to rest for a few hours in Warsaw before taking that trip. The border kept us for a much longer time. They made us take everything out, check everything. Um, it wasn't easy at all, but it was, it was okay. I mean, amazing in the way they didn't do much, you know, n- nothing really the way also was just beautiful. The sun was shining both ways. It was really nice. Um, many, many posts. I don't know what they're called in English. They're where the army have these posts where you have to stop and show your passports and where you're going, where you're coming from. Checkpoints. Many. At least, I don't know, between checkpoints, between 10 and 20, maybe 30 on the way. Um, there's also a shortage of um, gas and diesel and benzene and anything you need. Uh, so there are lines and lines. Like uh, you can wait sometimes, I don't know, hours, half a day, a day to get. So I was traveling in Ukraine with actually a car load full of a car load full of gasoline. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and uh, or diesel, and um, that was that was like kind of incredible. We we actually were able to fill up, but you can't take it through the border, and we had to leave it somewhere for me to go through the border on the way back because in Poland you can already fill up gas by yourself. Um, actually, in Dnepropetrovsk, uh, in Dnipro, I should say, because the name was changed, um, a friend of mine came over and said she was so happy to see me. They made me do a few like lessons with women. On Travis, there were over 50 women that came to Afrobrengen together. They're walking the streets, even though there are sirens, people are walking to Shoal, walking in parks, there are other shoals open, even though the rabbis have left, there are people in the community who want it, and there are, there's food every morning in our show for breakfast, for any refugees or people that are there, like actual food, not just cookies and cakes. And uh, we're trying to help and my husband and my two sons, one who's there from before and one who went back after the war started, um, are actually just helping out people who are coming through the city, people who are there, um, Holocaust survivors that don't want to leave and need help. Um, our clinic is open. I mean, oh, I wouldn't say 247, but almost 247 at any given time they can call and get help. 
and there are many people. I've been in there. I've never seen it so full before the war. Um, Wow, amazing. What else should I tell you? Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. Okay, our guest today is Hani Kamenetsky. She is the Chabad representative in the city of Dnieper, Ukraine. We're doing a follow-up. We had her on three months ago, and we're seeing what's what's news. Okay, so let's uh, go back to the original question. What's How are things different? How are people coping in the average man, the average person in the city of Dnieper? What are they, what are they doing? Uh, many people are trying to make ends meet in their own way. Uh, many uh, are stores were already opening, reopening, not all, but some were. And many sales, like, you know, in America, it's like gap on sale, 70% off. When is the whole gap on sale? I mean, this is like a little crazy, but in, incredible that they have opened. So you don't feel like you can't buy anything. Uh, food stores uh, are, you know, there's a food on the shelves people can eat it's not a there's no shortage as far as i saw there must be less of 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 things and not a variety but there is what to eat um i guess the main kosher wise i'm not sure kosher wise meaning if people were sending in humanitarian aid then there is kosher food if not i don't think that all the food is coming in and out just because of the gas and because of what's happening i'm not sure politically um other people are men many men are in the country for different reasons uh and why women and children have left some are coming back and um, people trying to make ends meet i mean i i can't say everyone's there many people have left but there are many refugees coming in also looking for jobs and work and and stability i mean as far as jewish People. They're trying to be part of the community, looking for things to do, but we are helping them. Um, okay. So. Emptier in terms of my friends, but it looks like there's traffic. The park is full of people. The streets are with people. It's not an empty feeling uh, on a regular, everyday to day basis. Okay, that is actually incredible. My next question was when you were there, did you feel like you were in a war zone? Were you like constantly like thinking, where's like in uh, people in other war zones, like in Siderot, for example, they have to always be cognizant, where's the closest bomb shelter? Did you feel that way, Hani Kamenetsky? Um, actually, I might sound crazy, but I went for a sole purpose and I, that's all I was worried about. And my husband kept on saying, if you're scared, don't come. And so I try to get this thing of, you know, being with my family, being back in my shul, being, and uh, there was, there were sirens all day, meaning there's a day with sirens, a day without sirens, and there's coming and going things that are happening. And the iron dome, I don't know if that's what it's called, is uh, blocking things. And there is so technically I wasn't, there aren't really, really many, many bombshells besides for the war ones, which are non-existent. I mean, they exist, but they're not really functioning. There are no bathrooms or water in there. Um, that's, that's where people, some people hide out, some people go to, but many are just hoping and praying that things won't fall in our city and just going on about life. But I was visiting our school, our kindergarten, and our yeshiva. They have obviously much less children there. 
um, and there was a siren when I came. And so all the kids, they already used to it. So they just go downstairs and there are desks and tables and chairs and the food will come because that's in the kitchen in the school. They might wait an hour. Some of the sirens are a longer time. So the kids in kindergarten actually sleep. Their cuffs are in there in the so-called shelter. And I've seen that too. So, but it doesn't seem like, you know, it, it's panic, but it does get panicky when people, when things do fall in the city or right near. Mm-hmm. Have you heard so any? People get, not, not, the panic when we left was worse than it is now. Interesting. So people are getting sort of like learning to live with the new normal is what it sounds like. Have you? Right. Have well, you... I know that Rabbi Moskowitz went back to Kharkov last week and his wife was going to come back this week with him. And he's there with the small children, and I and there is stuff going on there. So I don't know if she's going to end up going back. It is a little scary. Okay, you actually just segued right into my next question. If you're in touch with the the rabbis, the the, the representatives in cities like Kiev and Kharkov and Donetsk, where it's a whole different situation as far as uh, what's going on with this uh, war. So, what's have you been in touch with? Well, in Donetsk. And Lugansk, the rabbis left in, the, in I think, 2014, um, and they haven't gone back. Maybe they've gone back, but not, not that I know of. Um, in Kharkov, Rabbi Moskos, as I said, was back for Pesach. I think there were representatives, perhaps not the rabbi, actually, for the Sadarim. They've made Sadarim for their Kharkov community in Israel. I am in touch with Miriam Moskos weekly, um, and she would really like to go back. I mean, the reality and what's, what she'd like is maybe two different things, but that's what she wants. And many people, I just met people here in the, in the United States, in New York, from Kharkov, and they also are waiting to go back. They're having a difficult time finding a job here and finding themselves in a new reality, which is surreal, having to you know start their lives here. Um, I am in touch with the rabbi in the rabbi's wife in Russia also. We just kind of like write to each other, giving each other chizuk and hoping that this shall stop so everybody can live in peace. Okay. Again, our guest today is Hannah Kamenetsky, who is the Chabad representative in Dnieper, Ukraine. We are doing a follow-up from an interview from three months ago, then and now. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the Kamenetskys were the first shluchim to the Ukraine sent by the Rebbe? Is that correct? Um, in 1990, we were the first shluchim. There was, I think, Rabbi Korasik, who never, perhaps never left Russia or left and came back. He was much older, and he was in Kiev. Okay. But from Ezra's Achim in the 1990s, that was, we were, yeah, we came right before Kharkov and Moscow. Okay, so. Just maybe a few weeks, okay. three, four, or five weeks before. So you then have the status of a senior shlucha. How is it, are people looking to you for strength, guidance, assurance, inspiration, being that you're in that position? Um, <laughs> I must say, I don't know if I'm worthy of that. As I went to speak last Shabbos for people here in Crown Heights, and they're much older than me and bigger Rebbitsons, and they said to me, Rebbitson, I'm like, uh, uh, maybe for my community, People are looking for guidance and help and all that. But for being here next to Rebison, who I know since I was a little girl from our center, Jersey, like Rebison Azaba, who must be like 80, coming to listen to me, I was a bit, you know, taken aback, humbled. Um, and 
actually want to thank all the people that have brought us up, including parents and grandparents, in a way of wanting to go on shluchas. It was the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. I couldn't think of anything better. And hopefully that, you know, that makes the Ebishtan the Rebbe proud, and hopefully we will be back, if not in Yerushalayim, like now the whole world shall turn into Yerushalayim and Mashiach Shekham. We don't have to get back to Ukraine for that. But either way, yeah, people do ask for help and questions constantly and physically and, and spiritually and, and, and mentally and about doctors and, and also just about Yiddishkeit and stuff. People do, do and, and, and that is, that, 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 that's what the Rebbe speaks about, mentors and people that are older than you, maybe not in age, but even an, an, an 80, 88-year-old woman called me today from Israel just wishing me good job is saying that she just she just wanted to hear my voice which was really nice and I was really happy to hear hers <laughs> indeed okay so now um, a few weeks into the war there was a, a zoom meeting and your husband Shmuel Kamaski who's the rabbi of Nyper was asked like at the end of this whole thing what is it that you would like done what would you like conveyed and his response was Please talk to your Congress people to put pressure on the United States administration to try to get involved that the the Ukrainian government should relinquish I don't remember the exact words should say, okay, we'll give you these three and then we're gonna try and we'll and we'll try to make peace. Is that still uh, appropriate today as it was uh, two and a half years ago, two and a half months ago? I'm sorry, I'm so not into all this, and I I don't know. Okay, that's fair enough. I don't know. Okay, very good. Okay, our guest has been anything. Okay, what does Hani Kamenetsky need? What do the Jews of Nyper Ukraine need? We need miracles, um, open miracles. We hope this all people that are just. You know, bystanders don't deserve to give up their lives, and we need we need to have a prayer. And I'm sure uh, down on the ground is there's always um, a need for um, financial help. Um, and I'm sure many of you listening are involved already. And we want to thank you very much on behalf of all those that have gotten help and will get help in the future. Okay. Have the funds been going through? We've been hearing uh, about this federation giving this many millions, and in this organization, Chabad gave this many millions. Have funds been getting through? I, I'm also not really involved in where and what it's coming to. I could get um, an, an, an address or to tell you if you need. In the future, I'm sure funds are getting through. People are getting out. People are being fed. People are being taken care of. Uh, you know how it is. Like we say, we're, we we haven't we haven't been married long enough, and there's never enough, and the good can always come more and better. So I I don't know physically every single penny where it went to, but I do know that people are being helped and funding has been given. So Okay, good. Do you have a website where if anybody listening you. would like to contribute to the situation in Ukraine, Honey Kamitsky? I will find out exactly the address. I don't know by heart. Okay. So if you can, in the, in the next couple of minutes, you can text that to me, and then I can say it over on the air when uh, we'll be here for another half hour or so. 
So that's great. Okay, our guest okay. has been Hani Kamenetsky. She is the Chabad representative in Niper. We've been doing a follow-up. We wish you continued Hatzlacha, continued success, and we should only hear good things from you and the Ukraine. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, take care. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. We all know there's an opiate epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community, and Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 800-603-1813. It's 800-603-1813. Or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Hey, Shulfinman, here you're listening to the, the Jewish Hour. This is definitely uh, very inspiring, listen to, listening to people like Hannah Kamenetsky. And uh, she's just taking it in stride. I mean, this is like, it's, uh, we say low, Elena, not, not by me is what we say. Speaking of by me, we got for your listening pleasure coming up. This is Baruch Levine. This is Akiva Nechamtanu is the song. It's more related more to Tisha B'Av than to the time period we're in now. The story goes that Rabbi Akiva and his cohorts were walking towards Jerusalem and they saw the temple in destruction. And uh, Rabbi Akiva laughed and they cried. And he asked them, they asked him, what are you laughing about? And he said, what are you crying about? And he said, the temple is destroyed. Hello. And he said, that's exactly why I'm laughing is because Jeremiah predicted that the through his prophecy that the temple was going to be destroyed and Zerubbabel predicted it will be rebuilt. So now that I know that the one is true, I know that the other one is true. And they said, Nechamtanu Akiva, Nechamtanu, you have comforted us, Rabbi Akiva. Let's listen. Our sacred home, where our base Hamikdash stood. Now the foxes roam, overcome with grief by their awful plight. Such a desecration to the holiest of sights. But one man shed no tears. He just stood there, laughed and smiled. He answered their confusion and explained. This destruction was foretold before our home is built anew. So I smile as I see those words come true. And though we wait for so many years, our faith remains the same. That soon the time will come When we will know of no more pain And though we've cried 
So many tears, we are comforted by you. Akiva, Akiva, Nihantanu. Trying to be strong You're the one who taught That we too can find Beyond the pain and sorrow There is a greater plan in mind That one day we'll see the glory Of our eternal base amygdala As the sounds of laughter Fill our streets again Our elders and our children in the city of our king And though we wait for so many years, our faith remains the same that soon the time And that was Baruch Levine, Arkiva Nihamtanu. Up next, for your listening pleasure, this is Mandel Moses. The song is Mamini Benissim, We Believe in Miracles. Thank you. 
Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman here. You are listening to the Jewish Hour. The portion of the week, which we'll be reading in the synagogue, is Bamidbar, which begins the book of Numbers and uh, following. It's the first six chapters or so. It talks about a census. Uh, it talks about three censuses, actually, and is always read before Shavuos. And we've got to fill in a lot of time in the shorter time that we have because immediately following Shabbos is the holiday of Shavuos, which should be the most important holiday in the Jewish calendar because it celebrates and commemorates the giving of the Torah. If there was no Shavuos, you wouldn't have a Passover, you wouldn't have a Sukkot, you wouldn't have a Rosh Hashanah, a Yom Kippur, you wouldn't have anything. But it's got middle holiday syndrome, so it's like stuck in the middle. Everybody knows about Passover, matzah, and eight days, and sukkah, sitting in the sukkah, and shaking a lulav, and nine days with a simchas Torah, and Shavuos, you know, we eat cheesecake or blintzes, and uh, we stay up all night, and we have flowers, and that's that's it. So it doesn't get a whole lot of good marketing, but it still is very important. And between the two ideas of Bamidbar and Shavuos, we come to this this general consensus of the way it's supposed to be. Because the purpose of a census is to know how much something important is of, how much is there of this thing which I consider worthy of counting. So the Jewish people were considered worthy of counting. Everybody, you might say, counts. Because at Sinai, we were all there. It says the first day that they got to Sinai, They were there like one person with one heart, a singular organism. And that's what the Jewish people are. As we see, you know, looking at uh, what's been happening in Ukraine. And uh, these people can't live here anymore. So they go someplace else and Jews take care of them there. That's that's the nature. In Yiddish, that's called Landsmannschaft. That's the brotherhood that exists. Is it a secretive thing? Is it something nefarious? No, absolutely not. This is just the way Jews are. We look out after our own. And the rest of the world would benefit if they looked out after their own rather than just trying to rip off everybody they possibly can. The, the holiday totally and completely changed nature. Before the giving of the Torah, we mentioned this last week, spiritual, physical, two different realms, comes the giving of the Torah, down on Sinai, 
we have now the ability of elevating the spiritual, the physical, elevating the physical, and bringing the spiritual down into this world. Why are we bothering? What's it all about? What's it for? Very simple. To realize the purpose of creation. Why was the world created? In order to make the world a dwelling place for God. To make the world, which is seemingly void of godliness, ungodly, whatever adverb you'd like to apply to it, and make it godly. Make it holy. That's now we have the ability to do that. Why? Because everybody's significant. Everybody's important. We learn that from the story of, of the beginning of the book of Numbers. And everybody has the talents and capabilities in, in uh, soliciting Hani Kamenetsky, please come on my show. It's like, eh, I've got nothing to talk about. What's the big deal? I just went there to visit my husband, and I left there. And uh, in the meantime, if this was 20 minutes of over-the-top inspiration that, that blew me right across the room. And that's because, you know, this is what we have. We, think, we don't think we have. I got news for you. You have. The Almighty puts us in situations that we're there for. This is your portion in the world. We have this obligation. This is what Shavuos is all about. This is what the giving of Torah is all about. It doesn't need to be eight days. In Israel, it's one day. One day is enough. How many times do you have to be told, you're the person? You have the capabilities. You have the talents. Go do it. You know, do that for eight days is going to get boring. I mean, you know, how many days can you eat cheesecake in a row? This is this is really what what the, the holiday is all about. We have to take a quick commercial break, and we will be right back. Don't go away. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Hi, this is Spex Howard. The Spex Howard School of Media Arts is proud to have been a sponsor of the Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding comes from its sponsors, listeners like you help keep the Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax-deductible donation to the Jewish Hour, 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. That's 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. Your help is greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. It's technically June, which means it's a new month, which means as much as we tried, May didn't get paid. So let's. I'm saying May Day, May Day, May Day. Yeah, May didn't. That's a good pun. I like that. May did not get paid. So it's totally and completely up to you at this point to step up to the plate and whatever other uh, analogies you'd like to and similes you'd like to uh, administer to it. Just we need your help. We have been on air for 28 years and every single month has been paid for listeners like you. You're already into the show. It's almost 50 minutes that you're into the show. You're listening I hope you've been in, you were inspired as much by Hani Kaunessi as I was. And everything costs. 
And now everything costs more. Hello. This is, you know, <laughs> this is where we are right now. The price of gas is, is getting $5 a gallon, if not 6 or 8 as soon as it will be. So everything costs, and we need your help. So go to RabbiFinman.com and make a donation at the donations page. It's that simple. I'm saying go to that's if you're listening on Apple or Spotify or Stitcher or uh, iTunes or or uh, what did iHeartRadio become? Whatever that's that new thing is now that uh, that that took over iHeartRadio. Uh, if you're listening on RabbiFinman.com, you just have to switch over to the tab and go to the donations page. Easy schmeasy. So, but we need to and. I make the pledge. This is the beginning of June. If May and June are paid off, I don't have to do this. I'll tell a bigger story, which is enough of a incentive. How long do you want to hear me borkage about needing your funds? So let's do it. Go to RabbiFinman.com. Give a pledge. Make it a monthly donation. That's good. Make it a ginormous donation. That's also good. We need it from you. The story, this story happened uh, end of the 1600s. In the city of Frankfurt, the Shalah Kodesh, who at that time I suppose was living in Tiferi already, left in his um, left in his uh, will that the the successor of the rabbi in Frankfurt, Germany, would be able to answer the following three questions: very difficult questions. And the Jews of Frankfurt looked around, and nobody in Frankfurt could answer these questions. So a team, a committee, was formed to travel to the great Torah centers of the world, of Europe, and to find someone who could answer these questions. When they came to the city of Krakow, Poland, major Jewish uh, center, tremendous yeshivas, there was one of the wealthy individuals was making a bar mitzvah. And here was this. This is a very celebrated delegation. These are people coming all the way from Frankfurt, Germany. Who, uh, of course, they were invited to participate in the bar mitzvah celebration. The, it's customary that the bar mitzvah the bar mitzvah boy, makes a speech. And now it's like, mother, father, thank you very much for all the presents and coming to my wedding. You know, no. used to be that the bar mitzvah boy would give some sort of erudite insights into some aspect of Torah. And here they were listening, and one by one, this young boy posed the three questions and gave the three answers. They were astounded. They were blown away. It's like, this is amazing. It's like, no, this is, it's not the bar mitzvah boy who's going to be the next rabbi. It's his teacher who wrote that speech for him. And they asked him, who's your teacher? And he told them, this guy, his name was uh, Yosef Shmuel, no last name. And even at the end of the story, he didn't come up and this is like, not going to be like, uh, now you know the rest of the story. No, Yosef Shmuel remains Yosef Shmuel throughout the story. And they went, where do I find him? He says, he's in this in this synagogue on the edge of town. He's a teacher of little children. He says, such a person like this with such insights and such brains is a teacher of little children. So they went. And they, uh, they came to him, and he was in the midst of teaching a class of little children, like olive-based, like how to read Hebrew. And they posed their query, and he said, I can't talk to you now. I'm an employee. I'm getting paid to teach these kids. 
If you want to talk to me, come back after class, which just impressed him even more. Here's an ethical person. And they made their proposition, please come to Frankfurt and be our rabbi. And he just went, pshaw, <laughs> there is no way. He said, you want me to be the head of a community? Forget about it. I'm very happy. Here I am. I said, I teach little kids. I have no worries. I have no problems. The biggest thing I have to worry about is what happens if a kid's not uh, a kid's not paying attention. I don't need the job of Rabbi of Frankfurt. As much as they tried to convince him, he wouldn't be convinced. And so they figured, okay, there may be other people who can pose these questions and answer them. And they began to leave. But what happened was their wagon broke, which that happens, you know, axles, these type of things. And uh, they were sitting by the side of the road trying to get this wagon repaired when suddenly a messenger came. And he asked them, are you the delegation from from Frankfurt? And he said, yeah. So he said, well, we have a message from you from Mr. Yosef Shmuel that after you left, he started to get sick. And he got sicker and sicker and sicker very quickly. And it became apparent to him that the reason why he was getting sicker and sicker and sicker is because he was supposed to be the rabbi in Frankfurt. And so he said, okay, God, if you want me to move to Frankfurt, I will move to Frankfurt. And he immediately started getting better. And he went on to become this great rabbi, Rabbi Yosef Shmuel, who I don't know who he is. I don't think he wrote any books. He's a very self-effacing individual. But sometimes the Almighty just puts things in your lap and you just got to pick them up. That's it for the day. We hope you have a, a great week. We hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope you have a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a good Shabbos at the end of the week, followed by a great Shavuos, the 5th and 6th of June. It's June 6th is Yisker for those people who have lost parents. And we'll see you again next week. Take care. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.